Hi, I'm Lebo Chandela, and this is the 18th edition of the series Frontline Workers, where we talk to courageous essential workers who risk their lives daily to provide important services to the general public. It is over five months since the South African government instituted the national lockdown on March 27, with the country currently on level 2. On July 6, the Pretoria High Court ruled that all private early childhood development centres can open with immediate effect, subject to prescribed safety measures. Only nursery schools and daycare facilities affiliated to public schools were meant to open on that date. They were shut on March 18 in order to prevent the spread and acceleration of infections. Latest stats by government indicate that there are over 26,000 registered ECD centres and over 900,000 children are enrolled. Coming up in this edition of Frontline Workers. I used to get a lot of voice notes, a lot of emails, a lot of um, WhatsApp messages from my parents where they just indicated how the children seemed a lot more withdrawn. So if a child falls, best believe that the teachers are going to run and pick up that child. If a child is crying and just needs to be comforted, please believe my teachers are going to do that. I was scared. I, I thought of maybe closing until 2021, um, just from a personal perspective without even thinking about the crash. So then obviously comes the fear that aside from my own personal health, I am literally going to be responsible for these little bodies. Angela Makowe, who owns Busy Bee Nursery School in Black Gary in Johannesburg, tells me what she goes through as a frontline worker. Busy Bee acts as an affordable, practical, play-based preschool in the area. Angela describes how the closure of ECDs and lockdown impacted on her. I think we were literally treated as the poor cousin when it came to how the Department of Social Development handled the whole uh, preschool um, and nursery school and and just the ECD sector. Because I think despite a lot of calls, we were having sleepless nights. I think I've joined a thousand other organizations and the like because like EduX SA, which was very informative, by the way, and Child Care, um, South Africa and all of those other different organizations that provide some sort of helpful op- oversight. And um, if it wasn't for the solidarity action that basically pushed the Department of Social Development to court, I would think that I understand that maybe the, what was more pressing for them at the time would have been um, the grants issue because now we were we had the additional grants being given uh, and that's also handled under DSD. But I just feel like, well, they, they, they totally forgot about an entire sector. They totally forgot about the most vulnerable children, which are the ECD children. And this obviously affected us from a financial perspective, because I'll start with that. It was a it was a major it was it was a big hit. It took we took a very big knock. Initially, we were optimistic that we would be opening in April, and then when the lockdown extended, I think in April I I had still had about eighty percent, but that was only because I offered a forty percent discount on the fees, so at least I could make sure that that my teachers got paid, and then over and above that. By the time we got to June, I was already sitting on about 40% of the parents who could still pay because a number of my parents got laid off. About 25% of the parents that were signed up at my nursery school were self-employed. 
in sectors that were extremely affected by the COVID. So most, some of them were in the entertainment industry or were suppliers who supplied people who are in the entertainment industry. So like printing services, flyers, and you can imagine how that was obviously impacted. This was not something where you thought about going to the lawyers or going to find retribution through the courts because they signed a contract. This was about the empathy, the humanity of the situation. And there was no support from DSD. There were no grants. Um, the industry, I think some of um, the other people and players in the industry tried to at least get donors specifically for ECD. But right now, that was the sector that nobody really thought about until such a time when parents started thinking about going to work. And even then, we had a lot of parents with essential services who still could not bring their children because we were still told to shut down, even though we provided an essential service, which is childcare for the essential service workers. A recent study conducted by the National Planning Commission revealed that the lockdown has caused fear, anxiety, sadness and anger in children. Angela speaks about the impact that crash closures has had on children. From a non-financial perspective, I used to get a lot of voice notes, a lot of emails, a lot of um, WhatsApp messages from my parents where they just indicated how the children seemed a lot more withdrawn. And I think my, my biggest worry because I don't believe in a child going to bed hungry. My biggest worry was that with some of the children, um, especially the program that I ran for the less disadvantaged parents um, who stay around Blegauri, you'd find that some of these parents were now down to one meal per day because they could, they were not getting paid. And these children, if they would have been coming through, we would have fed them because they were part of the family. So even now, now that we were finally granted access, we've had some children who just come to have the meal because that's the that's one way in which we can contribute to some of the former, they're now former students because they can't come through without the fees. And I think that for me was the biggest um, issue. No one seemed to understand that the trauma did not stop with the adults uh, with COVID. There were adults who were afraid who had changed their lifestyle, who was in the house with no food, with children who were even more afraid because their whole routine was disrupted. And no one seemed to be to care for at least a whole three months. And even then, the response that came from the DSD seems, seemed to be nonchalant at, at best, where it was more to do with, do this and then we'll talk about it. And I felt like their response was mainly to look into how they can fix the mistakes of the past, which is obviously the issue with an, an, an unregistered crashes or crashes that don't comply, instead of rather ensuring that they are able to provide the service right now. I have eight employees, so all of them are looking to you to say, please do, please don't tell us that it's going to close and you are responsible for eight people's livelihoods. So it's a major responsibility for some of these crashes. And some owners did not have any other income aside from that income that came from the crashes. And with no savings, it becomes a difficult issue. The Department of Social Development released the standard operating procedures and regulations that an ECD center needs to implement before reopening during lockdown. Some of the regulations are that the center must be registered and comply with the minimum health, safety and social distancing measures for COVID-19. So we opened on the 13th of July because we we wanted to make sure that um, 
from the 6th, we had the proper protocols in place. But I know the actual date, the effective date was based on the court case date. And when the DSD indicated that they would not be challenging the outcome of the court case, this was taken as the effective date. Immediately after, the DSG then informed everyone that they would be sending inspectors out to ensure that however you responded in terms of the SOPs, you were ready. And for those that had asked for help, um, for them to get the actual help or consultancy from the DSD. And this was free of charge. The standard operating procedures were um, basically the minimum procedures that needed to be implemented. So what the DSD did was they took all the information about what's understood about COVID currently, and they put it in to say, as part of your, um, for you to open, you need to have specific SOPs in place. So for example, um, I'll give it to you in terms of the various sections in an ECD environment. I'll start off with the food. So in terms of the food, the cook, the person assigned to for food preparation had to attend a specific COVID-19 food handlers course. And this is a course that allowed them to understand how to prepare, sanitize the preparation, food preparation area, and ensure that they understand the protocols they need to now put in place when they are preparing food. Not that it changes much, but obviously extra care is required because um, if you, uh, for example, I buy fruits, I used to buy the fruits from the Joburg market um, in cell before the kids because I used to buy in bulk because there's a lot of kids. So now when we bring them in, we just don't put them away in the fridge um, or wash them and put them away. We now need to ensure that we sort them outside, wash them, probably wash them again. (laughs) No one is supposed to now have access to the kitchen. It's a cordoned off zone and, and something like that. So that's just SOPs just for the kitchen. Then when you go to the cleaning, there has to be cleaning schedules around how many times toys are sanitized, what type of toys, so plush toys, for example, or fabric toys we completely put away because the amount of time that's needed to at least keep them clean has increased. Um, The toys, ideally plastic toys that are going to be sanitized and put away and children now need to have specific toys for specific groups. They can't mix um, together. Um, Sand pits now are completely closed. Those are some of the guidance because diseases and bacteria actually thrive in the sand pit area, which is why, and it's generally an area that requires a lot more disinfection. So now with COVID, it will literally require disinfection constantly, which is not practical. So now the SOPs um, basically saying close all sand pits close all play areas where the kids are in close contact, um, separate uh, the play areas um, so that it will have different play times per class so that the children don't mix. One of the, the good things I liked about the SOPs was the fact that they did do away with masks for the children under six. In addition, the SOP also includes drop-off and pick-up procedures. Other SOPs included how parents would drop off our drop-off procedure. So, for example, before the parents could drive in, but now we collect the child, our screening procedures, do we have proper screening procedures? Do we have masks for visitors who might come through without a mask? What is our visitor's policy? So for example, our policy now is visitors can only come through for a tour after hours or on weekends because we can't have them coming through with the kids. And once they're there, there's a disinfectant mat where they wipe their feet, um, they sanitize and they have to have a mask at all times. 
So the SOPs were just guidelines as to what needs to be done per area from cleaning, from receiving the children, from getting a, a diagnosis of a student that has COVID and uh, ensuring that we trace our contact, um, how to um, isolate uh, or the what we need to have in place, the distancing between the children and basically the support when it came to uh, material that they might be able to give or at least giving us an indication that they will be able to provide support. So those are the standard operating procedures. So they, they printed, it was a 55 page document, um, but um, it was literally just an emphasis of the different type of setups you get at an ECD and the requirements to ensure that the children will be safe in, in these COVID times rather. The ECD centre have to ensure 1.5 metre unobstructed space per child inside and outside the learning space. However, Angela says social distancing is difficult to maintain. The teachers do wear masks and it is proven to be one of the most difficult things to continuously have a mask on. But it's very difficult to social distance in an ECD environment because half the time, despite our best intentions, the teachers will hand each other a a thermometer, for example, or a schedule to make the to become more efficient in terms of recording temperatures and the like. So at some point they will come into closer contact with each other. But I mean the emphasis is there. They have undergone training to ensure that they understand the risks um, that are associated with not maintaining the right protocols when it comes to social distancing. However, from a child and teacher perspective, one thing I can tell you is if a child needs attention if a child wants to touch the teacher we are allowing a teacher to comfort a child that's crying because the children still need um they still need that human touch um so in essence what's important is i think the emphasis has been more on the teachers because if anything they're the only other person with access to the children hopefully outside of their own home environment so you'll find that as much as possible, we do separate the children. So you'll find that the social distancing is between one class and the other in terms of the age group. So the one class plays together, so they won't necessarily um, be too apart, but they can, they will be in the same class, but they don't mix with the next class. And when they sit and do activities, they still do it separately. When they do go out to play, they may they might play as a class in terms of running on the slides, with, but immediately after the session, the cleaner comes through. Um, we actually have our own fogger or disinfectant fogger um, that we put in and the spray. So we spray every surface once the children are done with playing and then the other class comes through. So from a teacher to teacher perspective, it becomes difficult because the ECD sector is such a close-knit sector. You can't treat it, um, it's, you're dealing with children who at that point in time are ruled by emotion. They're ruled by emotion rather than practicalities. They're ruled by emotion, not uh, logic. And our, they've always understood that we will always respond to their emotion. And that becomes a bit difficult to, to, to distance yourself from that. So if a child falls, best believe that the teachers are going to run and pick up that child. If a child is crying and just needs to be comforted, please believe my teachers are going to do that because that's that's what a child needs. And that's what we've communicated to the parents as well to say, we will not ignore any child um, as much as possible. 
But the, to counter that, we have been telling them about COVID. They understand it in their own language. We've got little songs that we have that we've taught them just for them to understand the importance of keeping a distance. And after about three, four days, you find that they start getting into the new routine. The good thing about children is they are very open to new routines. Angela's exposure to others is of concern to her own well-being. I was scared. I, I thought of maybe closing until 2021, um, just from a personal perspective without even thinking about the crash. So then obviously comes the fear that aside from my own personal health, I am literally going to be responsible for these little bodies. And if something goes wrong, it's, it's something that is difficult to recover from, from a reputational point of view. So initially there was a lot of fear. There was relief when the shutdown happened that, oh, okay. But when the financial impact came through, it was from, from a hundred to nothing. It was from, from hundred to zero. There is no recovery plan. We were starting out, so we had no savings. In fact, there's more debt than savings. Um, there was fear initially. Then from fear, there was acceptance. Um, in that in, we were fearful but optimistic that, oh, in April, everything goes back to normal. We resume. Then it got worse. Um, and then in June, we were thinking definitely June. Now it was more the optimism plus the desperation that comes with realizing that at some point the UIF is going to stop. Um, who are getting announcement that it will stop. What? How? How do we go forward? Uh, bills still need to be paid. Municipality, the bond. So in the end, you realize, okay, we need to we need to have a plan because either you give up the business entirely, sell it up, and cut cut your losses, or you you basically take it forward and and live in the new normal. And so our our strategy was literally we just called a meeting and discussed people's fears and because the fears were there, but the fears were now intermingled between health versus having a livelihood. And I think that has been the and now right now our mental our mental state is more around we need to make sure that we stick to the protocols, we stick to the guidelines for our safety, for the kids' safety. We need to to get the business going again so that we can start paying proper salaries, we can start making progress just from a livelihood point of view. So I think right now the acceptance is there that this is the new normal. This is um, what we need to look in. This is now how we live. How do we now convince the parents to trust, trust us again with their children? And the teacher's sentiment is more to do with the fact that they want to work. Um, teachers, you know, the, the people who dedicate themselves to this industry are usually people who really, really love children, have a passion for children, a passion for teaching, a passion for education. So you can see that they've started going into withdrawal. And right now, all they want to do is to see their children over and above the fact that it's a paycheck it's 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 really a way of life for for the teachers especially because they have all these little adopted um, angels that they have in their classrooms and every day they wake up knowing they're going to see them and for four months they haven't they haven't seen them they don't know how they are how they're doing and it, it's very frustrating uh, frustrating for them and stressful the plight of the ACD workforce report revealed that 99% of the 4,000 operators surveyed say that parents or caregivers have stopped paying fees owing to the lockdown. 
Angela says not all the children have returned. So a lot of our parents have um, made the decision to bring their children back, but um, it's it's different intervals. So some of our parents uh, are starting in September. Some have opted for the October period when there's when it's definitely much warmer than September, and about. 15 to 20 percent opted to just bring their children back in January in the new year. And it seems as if obviously they have they had made alternative arrangements when we were forced to close, meaning that um, they probably have become comfortable, whether it's with a helper or with fa- or if they've sent their children to family members um, or like, like grandparents or aunts or uncles. And this obviously has impacted their decision making. I do believe it would have been different if it was June because everyone was assuming everything would go back to normal. But unfortunately, the timelines affected um, that po- that portion of decision making. And now that the children are learning new routines with their new setup, I think the parents are wary of disturbing that again, especially if the cases spike again and then we're forced to close. So it's a catch 22 situation but what i've we've reassured our parents that at any point in time these were parents that were committed to the school so when them leaving is not because of poor service delivery on our part but it's more to do with the fact that this is an an unprecedented um event disaster event and no one could have been could have known this was how it would happen when parents decide to keep a child at home we allow them to temporarily deregister that child it helps us plan as well to know exactly what on where our numbers stand and when they do rejoin us they won't pay any sort of penalties because at this point in time if you decide to keep your child at home if you decide to bring them to school both are being treated as good decisions from our end so as far as we're concerned the parent has to decide without any influence or emotional blackmail from us to say i want my child to stay at home or i want my child to come through and we accept the decision and the priority right now is given to the previous parents to say we're trying to make sure that we still keep a place for them unless they indicate otherwise and then we'll see them in the new year or in whatever month they decide to rejoin us. The World Health Organization says early childhood development encompasses physical, socio-emotional, cognitive and motor development between 0 to 8 years of age. Angela highlights the importance of ECDs. The preschool stage is the stage that teaches a child their social skills. And a quotation I saw is, your child can be good at piano, your child can be good at uh, math and trigonometry and arithmetic or whatever you want to say. Your child could be the best academic, but without those social and emotional skills, they will not make the necessary progress from a success point of view. They will not assimilate into society better. And I think that um, with all, with our parents, with parents becoming busier, it's, it's, it's a busier world than it was for when we were brought up. There's Facebook, there's social media, there's smartphones, something which was not there in my time as a child. And this obviously means that less and less time is actually dedicated to activities with our children. So this is where preschool sometimes can cover that gap, where we've got busy parents with demanding careers, demanding jobs who need to find the balance, especially after they've introduced kids. And 
preschool is providing that balance for those children. They get the education, they get the social um, skills, they get the play skills, they get to have fun. So, and you have to remember with some of these children, they don't necessarily have all the space in the world at home. So coming to creche means they get to run, just running. The simplicity of running, skipping, jumping from one place to the other, jumping in a puddle. So that's all not going to be sometimes available at home. And even if you have the biggest yard, if the parents uh, uh, can be busy with work or are trying to work from home, uh, meaning no proper working hours, it will mean then that that child does not have someone to run around with. And we can't blame the parents for that because they're trying to make a living. So this is where preschool comes in. It's that emotional development, that social skills development, that child coming into their own, realizing I am a person with feelings, emotions, I can make decisions at my level. If COVID is our new way of life, if this is how we are going to live for the next few years, having the ostrich mentality where you're hoping it will go away or government will fix it or someone will come in with a magic wand and it'll all go away. This is not going to happen. Some of us will work from home forever. Some of us will go to work. Some of us will start a business. Some of us have closed businesses. But the reality is this is a new way of life. If we don't embrace it, teach our children that this is how we live, how we're supposed to live. There is no magic solution that's going to come through. We will never get back to where we were in beginning of March even, because that has all changed. The way we handle our situations has changed. So it's important for parents to know that they need to school their children about how COVID can affect them. They probably need to tentatively start looking at letting them outside. Because regardless of whatever you're doing, keeping them at home, sending them to school, reality is COVID is here to stay. You might get it at the supermarket. You might get it at the preschool. You might get it in the parking lot. You might get it in hospital. We don't even know where you might get it, but highly likely it someone will get it. What's important is to ensure that any everywhere where we are, including a preschool, you stay safe and you protect the next person. Humanity is key and that's that's important. I hope that parents will realize that um, the preschools need them. They need them to obviously thrive. They need them to survive. They need the parents to trust us, to trust the processes, because one thing we can uh, confirm is that we, have, we do care for the children. For the next edition of Frontline Workers, you can visit sabcnews.com or at SABC News on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. For SABC Digital News, I'm Lebo Changela.